0: Nicolas Fouquet was born in 1615 in the city of Paris. He was born into a wealthy and influential family, and he would enjoy a prosperous and successful career until instantaneous tragedy strikes, and it's all taken away from him. The famed French writer and philosopher Voltaire wrote of Nicolas Fouquet's fate, On August 17th, at six in the evening, Fouquet was king of France. At two in the morning, he was nobody. It's time once again to turn down the lights, turn up the volume, and join me, Autumn Rebus, in a darkly lit place while I tell you all about the tragic fate of Nicholas Fouquet and the history of the majestic chateau Vaux-le-Vicomte, which became the inspiration for the Palace of Versailles and would set a new standard for the highly manicured French formal gardens. Bouquet would study with the Jesuits until the age of 13, when he was admitted to the Parliament of Paris. While in his teens, he would hold many positions of increasing responsibility, and then, at the young age of 20, was able to purchase the post of Master of Requests. The Master of Requests were councils of the state. These were prestigious offices and would come to review petitions put forth by commoners before the crown these offices as judicial administrators were very expensive and were bought and sold by aristocratic nobility and could also be appointed by the king. In January of 1640, an arranged marriage with the very wealthy Louise Fuch would significantly increase Fouquet's already well-established worth. His father would pass away a few short months later, leaving Fouquet a nice inheritance as well. It was part of his wife's dowry that he would purchase the land that would become Vaux-le-Vicante. Sadly, Louise would pass away the next year, just a few months after giving birth to their daughter. Now, before we get too far into Fouquet's story, it's important to understand the political environment in France during the 17th century. King Henry IV would be assassinated in 1610, And if you've listened to the episode on the catacombs, you may remember that Henry was a strong and beloved king by the majority of the French people. After his death, his wife, Marie de' Medici, was appointed as regent for Henry's heir, their then nine-year-old son, Louis XIII. Medici would be faced with opposition from the French nobility who saw her as simply a foreign queen who did not command their respect. This limited the power of the throne in France as a weak monarchy could not control the governing nobility of the provincial French parliaments. Eventually, Louis XIII would come of age and assume his hereditary title as the reigning monarch. At the same time, the political aristocracy had been working to establish a rift between the young king and his mother, which would lead to Medici being exiled. She would raise not one, but two revolts in attempts to regain power, but would not be successful, and eventually would become permanently banished from France and seek refuge in Brussels, where she would live out the rest of her days. of marie de medici's top advisors cardinal richelieu however would become a significant influencer to the king and have a monumental impact on the shift of political powers in france he would be appointed secretary of state for foreign affairs in august of 1624 a title which he would hold until his death 18 years later cardinal richelieu would be fundamental in the evolution of France's monarchies, establishing absolute power over the government. Richelieu was a staunch supporter of centralizing the power under the crown. Richelieu became King Louis XIII's most trusted advisor, and in turn, the king granted him an impressive amount of power. Richelieu dominated the royal court and was responsible for selecting and appointing all members of the administration. This allowed him the ability to snub the aristocracy that would have in the past received these appointments through name alone. Richelieu believed that his appointments should be based on the abilities and qualifications, not just your family name. This allowed the power to shift from the nobility to the crown, as the nobles would be excluded from the discussions of governmental matters, decisions, and rulings, and even FaceTime with the king along with the others who were now in power. It was clear to the nobility of France that they were intentionally being stripped of power, which led to a myriad of rebellious acts in violation of the king's laws. Dueling had been banned in France. It was a practice that became well-established as the way to settle an argument of honor between men. But in France in the 16th and 17th century, it was killing hundreds of upper-class men each year. The practice had been outlawed under the rule of Henry IV, but good King Henry offered forgiveness to those charged with participating in the offense. King Louis XIII had also ordered a royal edict in 1626 which evoked the death penalty For any duels which resulted in the death of an opponent. One aristocrat, in 1627, would find that Richelieu and Louis XIII were not as forgiving as Louis's father, King Henry IV. Count Baudeville was known to be a regular participant in dueling and had killed a man during a duel the day after the king's new edict was put into effect. He had fled to Brussels, to be out of the jurisdiction for any charges sought against him by the crown. Unfortunately for Baudeville, he had more ego than logic. He was a vain bully of a man, and in 1627, he was challenged to a duel by a relative of the man he had killed in his previous dueling. This duel was to take place in May of 1627 at the Plaque Royale in Paris and it would conclude without a fatality of either man. Baudeville would be arrested, though, and charged for his previous crime of dueling resulting in the death of his opponent. Historically, the penalties for dueling had not been strictly enforced and certainly not against a member of the aristocracy such as the Count of Baudeville. but Richelieu took offense to the Count's actions as a direct and deliberate act against his own authority and that of the crown. Richelieu wanted to make an example of Baudeville's defiance of the royal edict and convince the king to enforce the death penalty to send a message of who had the real power to all of the French nobility. As the story goes, the Count of baudeville would be beheaded two months later outside the window of Cardinal Richelieu. If you've ever been to the Louvre, you may recall that one of the wings of the great museum is named Richelieu after the famed cardinal, politician, and advisor to the king. It is said that on his deathbed in 1642, Richelieu told King Louis, I have the consolation of leaving your kingdom in the highest degree of glory and of reputation. Richelieu's long career as chief minister had led France to become a leading power in Europe and made King Louis XIII one of the most powerful monarchs of the 17th century. Richelieu also had a significant influence over the life of Nicolas Fouquet. François Fouquet, Nicholas's father, had been a trusted advisor to Cardinal Richelieu on maritime and commercial affairs, and it is said that it was upon the advice of Richelieu that Fouquet's parents were persuaded to guide Nicholas away from the church and towards the pursuit of a law degree instead, thus setting a stage for Nicholas Fouquet's ascent in the ranks of the Parliament of Paris. Richelieu's successor was Cardinal Mazarin. Mazarin and Fouquet would become very close, trusted friends and colleagues over the next few years, and Fouquet's loyalty to the cardinal would earn him prominent titles and great wealth. The reign of King Louis XIII would end the following year with his death in May of 1643. The heir to the throne, young Louis XIV, would be only four years old, and history, repeating itself as it so often does, sees the appointment of the Austrian Queen Anne as regent to rule on her son's behalf until he comes of age. Cardinal Mazarin would serve as Queen Anne's chief minister, and the two would develop a close and trusted alliance. Civil war had been brewing in France as a reaction to Cardinal Richelieu's policies to centralize power and strengthen that of the crown at the expense of the nobility. With the appointment of the Austrian Queen as ruler, the opposition gained momentum and a series of civil wars known as the Fronde broke out across France from 1648 through 1653. The Fronde was an attempt by the nobility and provincial parliaments to check the power of the crown that had grown significantly under the supervision of Richelieu and Louis XIII. But Queen Anne was smart and strategic. She was able to manipulate the rifts that existed between the divisions of the nobility, and eventually the Fronde would end in failure, and it secured the path to absolute power that Louis XIV would enjoy. The next serious check on power of the royal family would be the French Revolution in 1789. Cardinal Mazarin had escaped France during the Fronde for his own safety and well-being, and he was kept in form of the events by Nicolas Fouquet. Fouquet also found himself in a position to secure an even more impressive amount of wealth for himself and Cardinal Mazarin during the Fronde. Fouquet had risen to the position of Chief Prosecutor in the Parliament of Paris. He was a member of court now, and a member of one of the highest, most elite noble classes in Paris. Coincidentally, his family motto was, what heights will he not scale? When Mazarin returned to Paris following the end of the Fronde, Fouquet asked to be promoted to Superintendent of Finances and Cardinal Mazarin complied as a reward for Fouquet's loyalty. This put Fouquet in charge of all the royal funds. He made every decision when it came to royal finances. Unfortunately, the royal treasury was running very low on funds, so Fouquet found himself using his own wealth and money to pay the creditors of the crown. The royal finances were a mess, and while Fouquet continued to increase his own wealth, his management of the royal funds was about to fall under scrutiny. Jean-Baptiste Colbert was the personal assistant of Cardinal Mazarin and had monitored the financial management of Fouquet for years. Colbert didn't agree with Fouquet's money management, and he saw how the taxes that should have gone to the royal funds were passed through hands that each kept a share, not to mention that Fouquet's own money was mixed in with that of the kingdom, as Fouquet would sometimes borrow funds from himself to pay the creditors of the kingdom. Colbert was recommended to the king by Mazarin on his deathbed, and the king quickly gave Colbert his trust, which was used to manipulate the young King Louis XIV. Colbert staunchly criticized Fouquet's accounting methods and denounced his reputation, making him out to be an embezzler of the crown's funds. Fouquet had no doubt amassed a great fortune, one even larger than that of the king himself. Fouquet expected to be made Chief Minister of Finance following Cardinal Mazarin's death. However, the king, growing increasingly distrustful of Fouquet, eliminated the position and took the role upon himself, further expanding the absolute power of the monarchy. vaux le was finally completed in 1661, 20 years after Fouquet purchased the land. It was the most magnificent palace in all of france fouquet had the best architect the best decorator and the best landscaper of all time it was the perfect trio and the first time these three artists had worked together on a project but it would not be the last volé Vicomte was made for a king unfortunately for fouquet he was no king The palace was breathtaking, and the grounds were manicured to a level of detailed elegance never before imagined. The estate spans over 1,200 acres of spectacularly landscaped gardens, fountains, and pools. The formal gardens were designed so that as one walked deeper and further back from the chateau, more of the landscape would come into view. It was a masterpiece of flora and mathematics. And at the southernmost end of the gardens is an enormous statue of Hercules, clad in gold. On August 17th of 1661, a grand party was planned to honor King Louis XIV and to celebrate the opening of the Chateau vaux les This would be the party of the century and take place at the most majestic and awe-inspiring palace in all the land. The extravagance of the entertainment was unbounded and unprecedented. The king and all of the royal court were welcomed with music and flowers and immaculously flawless beauty. The food was the best of the best. The wine was of the highest quality. The royal guests were given a tour of the lavish gardens, the fountains, the grottos, bouquets of sweetly scented flowers. Everything had come together so perfectly. But the king was not amused. He grew angrier and angrier seeing this display of Fouquet's wealth. It only made him jealous and vindictive. The feast would be followed by the performance of a new play, written and performed by the famous French playwright and poet, Molière. The evening would end with a grand display of fireworks. The event was intended to honor the king and the royal court, but Louis saw it as a blatant display of Fouquet's fortune, one that surpassed that of the king. Fouquet had showed off, and the king was furious. It's said that he would have had Fouquet arrested on the spot if it hadn't been for the Queen Mother, talking Louis out of it. Fouquet was, in his own right, a highly influential person and in a titled position as a powerful member of Parliament. King Louis conspired against Fouquet and was careful to keep his intentions unknown. He led Fouquet to believe that he was going to be appointed to an even higher position, so Fouquet sold his appointment as superintendent of finances back to the crown. This was a grave mistake by Fouquet, as he no longer had a title to protect him. On September 5th, 1661 just three weeks after the grand ceremonial display at vaux le Fouquet is arrested, by order of the king, by the king's guard, musketeer, d'Artagnan. Fouquet would be found guilty of embezzlement, and the court would sentence him to be banished. But King Louis didn't think that sentence was great enough, so he overruled the court and sentenced Fouquet to life imprisonment Fouquet would be sent to Pinerol, a prison fortress, where he would live out his days, and he would die there on March 23, 1680, never again able to see his dream home, Voulay-Vacant. It is rumored that Louis XIV was intending to release Fouquet just before his death. It's also said that the mysterious man in the iron mask, whose name was not to ever be spoken or written, served as a valet to Fouquet while in prison. vaux les Vicomte would be seized by the crown, along with its artwork, statues, and tapestries. The king was so impressed by the beauty of Vaux that he hired the trio of artists that designed and built the massive chateau and gardens, and he put them to work on building his own extravagant palace, one that would overshadow all others in its grandeur and elegance the Palace of Versailles. Versailles had been a modest hunting lodge, belonging to Louis XIII. Louis XIV, his son and heir, wasn't too fond of the hunting lodge and rarely visited the site. But now he needed to prove his power and wealth and set the record straight that he was the king and he would have the largest, most glorious estate in the kingdom. Eventually, this blatant display of irresponsible spending and extravagance would be what brings about the French Revolution in 1789. le vacant thankfully was spared from ruin and survived the revolution, war, and uprisings. It has been restored to its former glory, and you can visit and tour the chateau and the gardens today. It is located about an hour from Paris, and it's easiest to get to if you have a car, but there are trains and charter bus tours and shuttles that will also take you there. The chateau is furnished, as it would have been in the time of Fouquet, and there are special events held there. Still, I've always wanted to attend an evening where they have candlelit tours or a grand fireworks display. I have one last tragic tale to share with you. The man who managed the catering and banquet for Fouquet's infamous affair back in August of 1661 was named François Vittel, Vittel had been in the service of Fouquet for many years, and was a renowned master event planner. After Fouquet's arrest, Vittel found employment in the service of another nobleman, Condé, at Chantilly Chateau. In April of 1671, the king announced his intentions of visiting Chantilly for a few days, and Vittel was put in charge of making all the arrangements. The king arrives with his entourage of 600 nobles and servants and then another 75 people that were unexpected. Vittel, taking his job very seriously, was intensely distraught that there was not enough roast for all the tables. But the king and Conde were both very pleased and found the evening to be a success. The following evening, Vittel had made arrangements to serve fish for dinner and he gave the orders to his people to buy all that was needed from the local markets and ports. By the morning, however, only two baskets of fish had been received, not nearly enough for the large crowd. Vitel waits in extreme anxiety, becoming increasingly more upset about the late delivery of the fish. He exclaims to his assistant that he can't possibly live with this disgrace and retires to his chamber. The assistant doesn't think anything of Vittel's comment and brushes it off as an overdramatic expression, given Vittel's attitude. The rest of the fish finally arrives, but Vittel is nowhere to be found. Upon further searching, Vittel was discovered in his room. He had committed suicide. He ran himself through with his own sword, because he had been so upset of the lateness of the seafood. I'm Autumn Rebus, and I thank you for joining me in A Darkly Lit Place. I hope you enjoyed hearing about the history of veau and Nicolas Fouquet. And please take a moment to stop by the website, aDarklyLitPlace.com, for more information, along with a photo gallery. A Darkly Lit Place is also on Twitter and Instagram, both with the handle at a Darkly Lit Place. Please click follow and say hello, and I will look forward to meeting you back here in two weeks. As always, thank you for listening.